everyone. Welcome back to another Christian Hunters of America podcast. Uh, Mike and I will be interviewing Grady from Ross Outdoors, a competitive 3D archery shooter that is sponsored by Ross Outdoors and numerous other companies here in Arizona. He's going to give us a little bit of an intro on what, how he got involved, how he got involved into archery, how he got involved into the competition world, and um, where this journey is going to take him. Please follow along and listen. If you have any other questions or comments, please uh, reach out to us, whether it's on Instagram, Facebook, or on our website, ChristianHuntersOfAmerica.org. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello, everybody. We're uh, back with the podcast today. It's another uh, great day. It's uh, springtime here in sunny Arizona. Well, maybe some parts of of Arizona sunny, but we are getting some great snow up in the northern part so here with uh, our buddy chet how you doing chet how are you everyone all right we're doing good we got a special guest today so we got grady here with uh, ross outdoors and uh, mm-hmm. also a phenomenal archer and today we're going to talk about archery so how you doing today i'm doing pretty well i'm very lucky to be here thank you for having me absolutely it's actually it's a privilege for us to have you here today and, and the reason why we have this uh we're going to call him world famous um, to us local boys here in the, the Phoenix areas because he's got a great you. story, you know, and I believe that through this, it kind of it gives me hope. And as an old guy approaching 50 and as you shot a bow and to, to watch someone kind of grow up in the ranks and to be part of the National Circuit is kind of cool. And that's kind of the idea behind today is to talk about how archery has impacted your life and where it's kind of led you. So, and Chet, as we know, is a newer archer. So how long have you been shooting a bow, Chet, probably? Mm, since 2016 so coming up on five years so coming up on five years and uh i know chet's uh he's he's learning adapting because we take him pig hunting and i think he's uh missed more shots at pigs and he's hit pigs so um no that's part no, of the fun don't, don't so. believe don't believe that <laughs> we've all done it it's okay we've all we've done, all done, done it, it you know and back in the day we used to have a quiver of <laughs> 10 arrows so because we didn't know how to shoot back then so we always had 10 arrows or 10 broadheads and if we went back to the truck and there was no arrows and we couldn't find no arrows, it was a good day of pig hunting. So <laughs> <laughs> that was how we were brought up, you know, back in the, the early 90s. So, so so, tell us a little bit about your story. So when did you kind of get exposed to archery and what kind of draw or kind of drew you to actually work for one of the, the best archery shops here in the state of Arizona? So Started with a Bass Pro Genesis bow, like a lot of folks. Um, I said to my dad because he had – gotten a old PSE Nova from my grandparents owned a gas station. And if you sold enough Coke products, they were going to give you a gift. Well, the gift was either a shotgun or a bow. And my dad said, you know what, I'll take the bow. And just like everybody else, sat in a closet for a while after he lost a little bit of interest. And then him and I both watched some TV show. I can't remember what it was. And we decided, you know what, we're going to get into it bought a foam deer and a foam target and he said to make sure that I was going to be serious about it I had to buy the bow so saved up birthday and Christmas money and went to Bass Pro and I wasn't old enough yet so I conned my uncle into taking me and gave him the money and he paid for it and we went home and I shot that thing constantly Um, then like most kids I lost interest for a little while and hung out for a couple years played sports and then we decided, hey, we're going to put in for late archery elk. This is going to be a great idea. We did. And then I realized, hey, I can't really take a Genesis bow. Well, luckily, one of my uncles gave me another bow, and I can't remember which one it was. 
didn't fit me. The draw length didn't go short enough. Well, went down to an archery shop in town. They didn't have anything that would fit. And then somebody said, hey, you should go to Ross Outdoors. They're great people, and they may have something that fits you. So my dad and I jumped in the truck and drove over to the old shop over on um, 59th Avenue Van Buren and walked in the door, and first person I met there was Josiah. And he fixed me up with, I think it was a PSC Drive LT at that time. And had a, I think it was a 27 and a half inch draw length and 60 pounds and shot it forever. And then ended up changing over to a prime later that year, saved up money again and bought a different bow. And then I've stayed with prime ever since and waited a couple years and decided, you know what? I walked out to my mom one day and I said, you know what? They just worked on my bow. I think I'm going to ask Josiah for a job. My mom kind of chuckled at me and looked at me. He was like, I don't think that's how it works, son. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I said, I'm going to go call him. And my parents were worried that, okay, well, he's going to start working and he already plays baseball and he's going to have a lot on his plate. So schoolwork's going to start slipping. And she was, I don't think it's a good idea. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. Went outside and I made the phone call to the shop. And one of the guys that used to work for us answered. And I said, can I talk to Josiah? I want to see about getting a job. <laughs> And he goes, yeah, sure. And then I spoke to Josiah briefly and he said, make a resume and send it to me. And then probably a week later, I got a phone call from Josiah and I missed the call, which probably wasn't the best idea when I think back on it. And then I made an appointment on Monday to go see him and showed up and we talked for probably half hour, 45 minutes. And he called me probably two, three days later and said, if you want, you can have the job. And that was, I had just turned 17 at that point. So you're still in high school at that point? Yeah, that would be, I had just started my junior year, I believe. Wow. <clears throat> so 17-year-old kid, still in high school, <clears throat> has a new passion to get into archery and to learn how to become an archer as it relates to being a bow mechanic because somebody else was working on your piece of equipment. Yes, sir. And so you make a phone call. I mean, I'm just looking at it from a dad's side and being proud and things like that. I mean, how how could we change America and our society if that was the drive of all of our high school students who wanting to find a passion, find a love, then to pursue and go and find a job that they think they have interest in and, and pursue it. So, so then what happens? I mean, I'm inspired just hearing the story. I've never heard the story, so it's incredible. Then, and it's funny thinking about it because the way I got here from the shop was the inverse of how I used to get to the shop from school. So driving up here on 7th Ave, I remember busting tail down 7th Ave to get to work after school to make sure I got there on time because I was worried about showing up late. And we, I mean, I just got to learn. That was right when we moved to the new location on 17th Ave and Grant. Um, so the shop was still very fresh. I think that was kind of a blessing of a time to come in because if I would have been four or five months earlier, it would have been right in the heart of the move. So I wouldn't really learn much. I would have just learned how to move an archery shop, basically. But this was learning the setup of the shop and where we're going to put stuff and learning a lot of the merchandising thing because I've never had a wonderful eye for that. Josiah and Brian especially, they both can look at a picture and realize, hey, what's really appealing to somebody's eye? But for me, I'm more of a tinker. I can take things apart and put them back together. And that's where David, the manager, him and I have gotten along very well. 
doing that. And that's why it takes a team from everybody from all facets and you got to have everybody has their little niche. Oh yeah. I learned something from everybody there every day. And it's whether I learned something from how the business runs from Josiah or something about a bow that's older than I am from Dave or me. Brian is a wonderful, wonderful metal worker. And I remember the first time I stripped out the head on the screw, I was like, oh, what do I do now? He came over and showed me how to use a reverse drill bit and take it back out. Those things I learn every day. I can barely use a computer, but Jason, our new guy, he can help me fix a computer really quick now. I can almost type. It's great. Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, there's something to be said about that for sure. That's oh, yeah, exciting. we're a family, family for sure. Yep, and I think that's kind of where our listeners and, and, and I personally, if I've known Ross since before they even had the shop, I remember they'd have a little booth at the Cardinal Stadium, and even before that it was at the Sir Fairgrounds with just a little booth and kind of starting their outdoor world of rental of optics. So, And I think that's the biggest thing that when I look at their organization, even though they're a highly successful business, it's, it's based on relationships and a family atmosphere for sure. Oh, yeah. we got a core group of guys, and even our part-time guys, they've been with us for a long time, and it's we're very fortunate and very blessed to be the group that we are because we know that, everyone lifts everybody up in a different way and i think that really creates a good environment and it creates a very very fluid system at the shop that's awesome so that was how many years ago that you're talking about when you got hired oh i'm five five years ago about five years ago they moved from their 59th avenue when the the for anyone not here in, in the phoenix area there was a new freeway being built and a lot of the businesses were in the eminent domain ross outdoors used to be um in west phoenix and moved to central phoenix downtown where their uh, other business was already held so their outdoor shop moved into uh, a really 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 cool looking brick building and uh, grady has shared a little bit about that he got here got hired on right right after that move yes sir and yes sir they had an indoor range were you a part of instrumental in how they designed that for the indoor archery and uh, no. the tuning shop i was still the new guy i was really <laughs> good at moving bow cases around and saying yes sir and learning what to do and kind of finding my place there thinking back right. on it now of seeing newer guys that we've brought in recently and then seeing thinking back of oh this is what i used to do and everything of kind of learning the side of it and now getting to see it from a different perspective of how Josiah and Ross and Dave moved me around to do different things to mm-hmm. find what I was good at. Right. Because I was honest, I told Josiah, it's like, if it doesn't involve a bow press, I can figure it out. But I had no clue how to use a bow press. I mean, did they force you into that position so that you did learn? Yeah. I mean, everyone gets forced into that right. at the shop because at the end of the day is you're working at an archery shop. Right. Like it's the way we do business. Right. It's one of the main tools. And, I learned that, and then I really fell in love with learning how to read the bows. Of We aren't working with a piece of solid metal that, that never changes. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with something that uses natural materials to hold it together. Right. And you have to be able to read the changes and know that, hey, if I put half a twist into this cable, two or three different things will happen. Or if I take one twist out of this limb bolt, two or three different things will happen. And that's something that I really, really 
just went full bore and really fell in love with is that and I've learned a lot about it. I don't know everything by any means. No one does. That's that's the beauty. We're always learning every day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So then uh you're working there, they move you around, you're getting good. Uh when did you go and get your certification to be the master bow technician? Um so that's kind of funny because I'll never refer to myself as that. I still think of our master tech as Dave. Everybody, but, most people do. Yeah. Everybody knows Dave. Um, but I went to PSC technical school about a year and a half, two years ago. And then about a year ago, I went to the Hoyt technical school. And both of those, they give you more of an insight into what that specific bow needs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have the note sheets from being at PSC and Hoyt in my toolbox at work. So when I'm just getting my butt kicked, I can turn and look at them and be like, oh. It's good I knowledge should, always to refer that. back to. Yeah, yep. always. And there's there's no real school to go to to get a master tech certification. It's more of just time behind the press and then doing things right enough that you kind of make a name for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really strive for at Ross is – for all of us to people to walk through the door and be able to grab any of us. And I feel we've reached that pretty dang well. Oh yeah. I'm sure Mike and I both can attest on all the people that we've recommended and that everybody there is super competent and knows that if you bring your bow in there, no matter who's going to be working on it, you're going to leave a satisfied customer. And a lot of people, um, like you said, you know, everybody knows Dave, but, word of mouth in any hunting world goes a long way. You can tell and you can, uh, you can be good at your job, but unless you've had numerous people work on it and then they tell their friends and those friends tell them, then that's, you know, that's why you have repeat customers that they don't have any issues. They come out, they're successful of whether they're target shooting or, uh, just backyard, you know, backyard fun or when they're hunting. I mean, it's word of mouth is everything. Yeah, we're lucky. We call them comebacks. We don't like comebacks for the wrong reasons. Right. right. We love seeing repeat customers, but comebacks of somebody walking in with, it's like, hey, I'm still having an issue or something else popped up. We have a very, very low rate of those, which is, that's our main thing. We don't want to see that bow come back until it comes back with blood on it. You go, hey, can you clean it off because I killed my oak with it? (laughs) Or, hey, I need to get new strings. Right. Or arrows or those kind of things. Exactly. So now, so you're you're working there and you're shooting because they got they got a range in there. So you're, you're mm-hmm. continuing shooting. Then you decide to get into the local market, the Arizona market of shooting some 3D stuff. So you want to kind of talk about how you got involved in that and how you started to work your way up the ladder to being one of the top shooters here in Arizona when it comes to those. Yeah, that was well, shooting 3D started with. I had bought a bow from one of our customers. It was a Prime STX 39. So that was now four years ago, probably. And um, I said, Jimmy, I want to buy a bow from you. He said, okay. I paid him for everything on it because I didn't know anything about it at that point. And it sat in the back hallway of the shop for about a year. (laughs) Um, Then I met my girlfriend, Erica, and... She was at the shop. I worked on her bow. It's a real love story. <laughs> um, 
and match made in archery. It, yes, match made in archery is right. Um, and I said, yeah, I like to shoot whatever. I had gone out and shot a hunting bow with her before, and we went and walked the 3D course at Usury that's always up there. And then she said, hey, there's a full draw bow hunters fun shoot coming up. And I go, oh, that's great. She goes, my dad's going to be there. And I go, oh, great. This will be fun. So I built that target bow back up and kind of tried to learn what the heck I was doing really quick to impress her dad, really. Um, Pretty cool. Yeah, I went out there. Um, you only make one first impression, right? Yeah, and I don't know how good a first impression I made. <laughs> I didn't shoot too great thinking of the score-wise. I shot a 195, which, I mean, five below par, which I think about now, and it's I'm not impressed with that. Yep. But um, shot pretty good up until it started raining, and I shot a coyote in the tail, and then it was just a fun time. Right. And yep. I... That was really the start of the 3D journey for me. It was that one day I would say has changed my life for sure. And went from that to, hey, trying to convince Josiah to give me a Saturday off so that I can go compete in the Triple Crown last year, or actually two years ago now. And it was, I mean, went out to the first leg and everyone was like, who the heck are you? Yeah. Because I walked off the course the first day and everyone looked at me and they're like, you're in first. I was like, how? I don't know what I'm doing out here. You guys are all experienced. And I just went out there with that rookie confidence and more relaxed, probably. Yeah. I had zero expectations. There's no pressure. As long as I hit the animal, I was happy. Right. And I went out there and I posted the highest score at that shoot in a while, they said, and I ended up winning it. And then Fast forward a couple months, and I ended up winning the state championship with it. So you had to win three out of the four legs, which I did. And I made a choice probably six months after that, eight months, that, hey, I'm going to pursue this harder. So I was fortunate enough that Erica was already training with um, Mel Nichols, who he owns um, Pineapple Archery Training Center up in the Northwest Valley. And I he said to Erica, hey, why don't you bring your boyfriend along? I heard he's kind of a good shot, and I went over there and I shot, and now I'm there six days a week. They're a little too much, he sometimes says. So you're shoot, you're practicing six days a week and shooting with him then? Yeah, my one day off is Saturdays. That's my only normal work day. I work nine to five on that day. The rest of the days I work a little bit different hours um, to accommodate my training, which I'm super lucky that Austin Josiah allowed me to do that. Um, but yeah, I get there and I train from 2.30 to probably 7.30. Shooting every yeah. day. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Dedication. So yeah, and I'm very lucky to have that quality of a resource in the Valley. I mean, <clears throat> Mel's been around the world twice and met every archer once, I guarantee it. And his son is Brady Ellison, which is one of our um, Team USA Olympic medalists. Mm-hmm. And to have that knowledge of coaching in the Valley incredible. is incredible. And being able to kind of stay under his wing and learn every second of the day. You got three there. great things going for you. You got uh, a world-class teacher, uh, instructor. You got a, a girlfriend who is into archery and understands the passion and the level of dedication it takes. And you have a boss that owns the archery shop that understands, hey, we need to get behind this guy. Oh, yeah. It's an absolute blessing that 
like the stars aligned and said, okay, we're going to let you do this. Go have fun. Right. And it's lucky. And then I was fortunate enough at the, basically the end of 2020, I had contacted Prime and said, hey, I'm going to give this thing a run professionally. And I was very lucky that Brian Anderson over at Prime said, all right, we're going to back you. Impressive. We're going to send you a contract and you're going to shoot professionally for us for 2021 season and good luck. And at that point, then it was, okay, wow, this got real fast. Yeah, yeah. And that escalated. Yeah, that escalated really quickly. And we uh, now, I mean, from last month until August of this year, I'll be gone week, week and a half every month traveling to different states doing ASA tournaments, which is 3D archery. And then I compete in some of the NFAA stuff as well just for keeping up practice. For any of our listeners that don't know, do you want to explain what those competitions are, what, the, what those acronyms yeah. stand for? Um, absolutely. Um, ASA Archery is the Archery Shooters Association. So that is a 3D archery organization. They host national archery events every year. Um, and they have a circuit that runs from February until August, generally. And you're shooting, I mean, you're shooting foam animals with scoring rings on them that have different point values. Scoring rings, um, the 12 ring, which is the highest scoring value in normal um, course play, that's about the size of a U.S. silver dollar. And they put that target anywhere from, on the pro course, 25 is really close. And like the last shoot I went to, the max is 53, and they put a couple out there at max. So hit a silver dollar that isn't marked. Right. You just have to know where to aim. So that can be tough sometimes, and sometimes you succeed and sometimes you don't. Yeah, a lot of factors on those wind conditions and sunlight, daylight. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone who's gone to a fun 3D shoot, sometimes you walk around and you see guys walking around with big umbrellas sticking out of a backpack. Well, that's because most of those – guys and gals that are out there shooting are you are sighted in and training for perfect conditions and sunlight wind anything you will deploy that umbrella Mm -hmm. and okay now there's no sunlight now there's no wind and that's a very common practice at a lot of these events so if you see someone using an umbrella or or bringing one in and it's a, a no rain cloud in sight you know that they've been shooting a little bit before yeah Generally, that's one where, I mean, especially at the last full draw bow hunter's leg, it was windy that first day. So I was holding two umbrellas shielding a guy from the wind just so that your pin float doesn't get too bad. I mean, sometimes you'll get blown off the animal aiming. Wow. Yep. Because these aren't, like a hunting bow, there's no magnification in your scope, but on a target bow, imagine having a four-power lens in there that zooms you in on the target because now you're aiming off of, a texture line on the target instead of aiming at the lungs, basically, Mm -hmm. is what most people will go for. Right. And when you magnify that, that also magnifies your pin movement. So you need to have no glare on it, and you need to have no wind grabbing your bow and throwing it around because it just magnifies all that movement. Right. And you are still shooting a prime, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. So you're sponsored by Prime. You went and approached them last December 2020, said, I want to take this seriously. I want to move to the next step. These are the circuits that I'm going to go after. Um, what do you guys think? They put that contract out there on the table and say, we're going to give you a one-year, correct me if I'm wrong, one-year contract, see how you do for 2021. Yep. 
And uh, what bow? You have a hunting bow and you have a target bow, competition bow? Yes, sir. Yeah, I have um, currently my main target bows are the Black 9 by Prime. So it's a 39-inch axle of axle. Wow. Um, I also have one that I'm getting used to now, and that's their new Nexus 6 for 2021. And then I have um, two of those, and then I have one of the Nexus 4s for my hunting bow, but it doesn't exactly go to my draw length. That one stops at 30 and a half, mm -hmm. and I'm just over 31. So I run a little bit longer loop, and I did some things to the cables to extend it out just a shade. I was going to say, that's that's what you guys did back when it was set up for me on my Hoyt, that I have a 31-inch draw, and the Hoyt I had maxed out at 30, and so they made a bigger uh, loop, and it it does the job for me because I'm not near to your guys' level. Mike shares uh, his love for Prime every chance he gets. What what are you shooting, Mike? I shoot Now I'm shooting the... I have the, my original is the Prime Rise. That's my hunting mm -hmm. bow that I've had probably since 2015. And now I'm shooting the Prime um, 5, so it would be the Black 5. So. Yes, sir. And that's my uh, new target bow, so I'm still getting used to that. I've had about three weeks, and, and I love that bow. I'll tell you, it's, it's a little bit different feel, but just the accuracy. And I think one of the reasons why I'm always promoting Prime is I remember when I, my, I won a Prime back in 2015. It was actually a, a bow that I won for my son. And I remember shooting it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like the best shooting most forgiving bow I've ever shot in my life. And as I shot it a little bit more, you know, I had a $1,000 plus bow up to that point, and I remember shooting back and forth, and I'm like, it's not even in the same category. And so I, I fell in love with Prime. Then after, you know, saving up, and I bought that Prime Rise, you know, at the time I think it was like a eleven or $1,200 bow, hunting with it, you know, for year in, year out, and just beating that bow up and the elements and just, you know, shooting a lot of animals with it. It's just it's such a forgiving bow that I can hold, and especially when you're spotting and stalking. And then I think about this desert conditions, you know, going through cactus and brush. It just seemed like that bow is just flawless. And I think that's probably why I promote it so much and I brag about it is because I use it. You know, I get it dirty and it's in the elements and that bow is just a fantastic bow. And it's, it's never had one issue since I've had it. So, yeah, they're built tough. I mean, that's the one thing I tell people all the time and everyone looks at them and they say, why does it have four cams? Well, that's because primes are forgiving. That cam is wider than the grip of the bow, or about just as wide. That means the cams have the same influence on the grip as your hand does, which means it's gonna pull you back to center. I hear people say all the time, like Prime is the one bow that I can put it in the case, not shoot for eight months, find out I draw a tag, pull it out, and it's gonna hit the same way as I was shooting before. It's true. And it's the forgiveness, it's the balance. They have their synergy technology that they've deployed for probably the last eh, four years four or five years and that means the throat of the grip so where the webbing of basically where your thumb and index finger meet on the bow that is referred to as the throat and that is the center of the axles so what that means is everything basically is going to be balanced off one center point rather than sometimes people grab other bow manufacturers and that grip is lower than others and they go oh my gosh it's top heavy or it feels like it kind of wants to swing after i shoot it mm -hmm. on primes that's why people refer to it as pointing but when you actually are aiming the bow it just kind of sits there it doesn't really move exactly and that's the forgiving aspect of it where if you aren't training regularly with that bow it's going to be <clears throat> as forgiving as possible for the shooter exactly and that's what i've experienced during hunting for sure i mean it seems like whenever that animal has the 
you know, comes in that position to where I'm ready to shoot. It's like the confidence built just on that bow that doesn't matter if I picked up that bow and I shot, you know, broadhead, you know, two weeks ago. I know that broadhead and that arrow is going to hit that exact spot where that animal's standing. And I think that kind of went back to I finally got you kind of inspired me to get into the target shooting about a mm-hmm. month and a half ago. And I went down there with my hunting bow, the same bow I've hunted with for the last five years. And I pretty much only shoot broadheads out of it. And I remember unscrewing the broadheads the night before and make sure my field tips. And what was amazing was my field tips were identical to my broadheads. It was just like okay. unscrew those those broadheads, you know, which, as you guys know, Dale, we had Dale on here with Evolution Outdoors, and we had the hide broadhead. And it was pretty impressive after shooting those broadheads for two years, screw on field points, and literally the same bullet point where I'd shoot a broadhead on one side of the target, pull that one out, shoot shoot the field tip, and it will go in that same exact hole. You know, it, it's an impressive feeling. So I ended up, you know, doing a com- competition 3D shoot with Desert Bow Hunters. And, uh, you know, the first day, you know, I actually led that competition in first place, you know, with, with a target bow that's, that's a hunting bow. And I, I do believe that's the confidence that the prime has given me, just knowing that when I pull up, you know, whatever I'm shooting at, that arrow is going to hit exactly where it's going to go. And that kind of is my next question to you is, since you practice day in, day out, you have some of the best instructors and, and coaches to kind of guide you. What is it like to shoot cons- constantly? Then all of a sudden to have something where you kind of shoot a little off maybe that day or that five minutes, ten minutes, and how do you pull yourself back in? Because I know that's a real struggle with most archers is I can shoot, I can hit, and all of a sudden it just seems like that day I'm shooting high left or low left or whatever it is, and it doesn't matter what I do, it seems like now I'm just shooting off. Now I want to move my whole sight pin and, and change everything up. So I'm sure you've had those those instances, those that hour window or even maybe a couple days or a week that that happens. Yeah, that is – that's where you start diving into the biggest part of archery is mental. It is. I can make any bow shoot straight. I can grab a recurve and make it shoot straight. The biggest side of it is mental. And I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of mental management classes through Mel. Um, we use a system. They're based out of Texas. It's called Mental Management Systems. I've been able to and been very fortunate to sit through the seminars and the classes on that, but it is, it's a big thing to go out there and have confidence. You don't have to be cocky. You don't have to be arrogant, but stepping up to that shooting line or stepping up to that bail at the range, like you're just sighting in and going, I'm going to break a perfect shot. You do it once and then you say it again and you say it again and you say it again. You don't have to say it out loud because then people might look at you funny, but say it internally and you have that kind of mental fortitude at that point and that goes everywhere it's someone walking into a presentation or a meeting with their boss they're going to have that confidence of hey I'm going to step up and that's the big side of it that mental management systems they cover all of that there are books that they have which um, Freedom Flight and With Winning in Mind are two books that I regularly read I've read them a lot actually Um, And then we have a performance analysis book. I keep it in my backpack with me wherever I go. Whether it's shooting at the training center or it is in competition, you take notes and you take the conditions and you write down your feelings and how things changed throughout that day because you can can stop that off shooting before it really starts to affect you. Because physically you might feel, hey, I'm not hitting where I should be. But once it gets to you mentally – that's where it can actually do some damage to you. 
Yep. And that's where you kind of got to think back of, hey, I'm okay. I know I was accurate yesterday. Nothing has changed except me. I'm going to take a breath, and I'm going to execute the same as I was prior. Yep, that's a, that's a great point. And I know I'm guilty of that just last week. You know, I was practicing in the backyard, and, you know, I'm shooting nickels. And then I go out to the range. I decide to go out, check out the range, and all of a sudden I'm shooting completely different. It's like, how does this, how does this change? You know, and then you're sitting there saying, well, if I go back home, and I, I'll shoot perfect, but I'm shooting here. Then you start to second guess, is it because it's 500 feet elevation difference? Is it a little bit more wind? Is it the elements? And it's true, it's all mental. Then once I sat down, kind of just took a break and went up there and just shot, just let it go, My all of a sudden my arrow's right back where I want it. It's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. Yeah, I tell customers that at the shop all the time. Of We are the imperfect variable in shooting a bow. A bow is designed to get drawn from rest to full draw. You let go of it. It goes forward. It does its job. The guiding factor, which comes from us, is what causes those inconsistencies. Yep, exactly. And then something else that I've kind of learned now that I'm getting back into the shooting of the competition, I've only done two since I've kind of gotten back into it, and I think it was 10, 12, 14 years ago before I used to do it, but back then I had no idea what I was doing. It was, just, it was more about just a bunch of buddies just harassing each other and why we did it. But what I noticed in my last competition is even though I know where that quarter size 12 ring would be on that target seems like whoever i'm following my eyes want to follow their arrow even yep. though they're they're in the 10 ring or maybe on the side of the, the eight ring which is really close to 12 ring i'm having a hard time i've I'm, I'm noticed this last week that I'm, I'm almost like focused on the end of their arrow instead of that pin so how do you pull your and naturally pull yourself to shoot that spot you're supposed to shoot instead of following somebody else's arrow that isn't where you're actually wanting to shoot that comes back to some of the training because most of us, and I'm guilty of it, absolutely, will shoot at the same spot because we like cramming arrows together because that's a mental confidence thing. Absolutely. You're like, holy mackerel, I can fit three arrows inside of a quarter at 20. This is great. Well, if you do that, your mind subconsciously is going to grab on to the end of an arrow because generally that's easier to see than the aiming reference you just shot at. So your mind's going to grab onto that, which if you've trained your mind to do that, once you step up to the 3D target, it's no different. It doesn't matter if it's your arrow or not. You're going to grab on there. And for me, I like to see where someone has hit and then just kind of have a mental thing of I can hit better and then I will move my pin to where I feel is hitting better. Makes sense. And yeah, if someone center punches the 12 ring, I'm guilty of it. I'll look at it and go, okay, your arrow is going to break right now because you've blocked me from being able to get in there. Yep. And that's some of the competitive side that you have to have. And of course, I don't want to break somebody else's arrow, but if you've disabled me from getting in there, you asked for it. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> so now let's fast forward. So you make it to the national circuit. So you're shooting with the best archers across the world mm -hmm. in these shoots. And here, breaking arrows and, and stacking that 12 ring at these targets is probably a very consistent, you know, as you're going through, there's probably more people that are in that 12 ring than, than not in that 12 ring, I'd imagine, because mm -hmm. you're competing against the best of the best. Now, how does that mental side take? Now, you got, say there's five shooters in your group, and you're the fifth shooter, and you got a stack of four arrows all around that 12 ring. So how does that change your, your philosophy, is there, or does it not? Or you just plan to shoot right down the middle of those and break four arrows? Oh, it changes everything. It does. Um, this last shoot I went to, I walked up, and 
on ASA scoring rings, there's three small rings in a row running at about a 45 degree angle across the 10 ring. And the center one counts as a 10. It is not valid. Then there's an upper ring, which you have to call. And there's a lower ring, which is always in play unless you call the upper. Well, I walked up and there was two arrows in the lower and two arrows in the upper. And at that point, that turns into course management. You sit there, you have one minute to shoot your arrow, which, I mean, the entire time while the other guys are shooting, I'm watching, okay, my probability of getting into that lower is nothing because those two arrows are touching in the center of it. But on the upper, they're both at the top of it. There's a little bit of real estate left at the bottom. So that's where it more turns into course management than just being really aggressive. That was my true mistake at this last shoot, and I'm totally honest about it. The first day... I had very good course management. The second day, I pulled a rookie mistake, and I said, I shot good the first day. I'm going to aim at everything the next day. Well, when you do that, you hit somebody else's arrow, and you will glance out of the 12 ring, out of the 10 ring, and you will hit an 8. And I did that multiple times. Yep. And That's huge. That's, that's where that's I huge. said at that point is that was my cue of, hey, you have to have that really fine line of, aggressive when you're up there but you also have to have the end goal in mind which is i think truly course management of figuring out when to be really aggressive and when to let off the gas yep yeah because the 10 is so much better than an eight especially when you get in those competitions for sure oh yeah and especially if you shoot a five i mean that weekend i shot one five because it was on a small target and the rings were small i glanced out of it and i nailed a five you shoot a five that's the last nail in your coffin you can sign your scorecard and leave. Yep. And that's where it goes back to the mental side of it. That was target like five for me. Yep. And okay, well, I still got 15 to go. You got to get back into it and it all comes into play. Nope, it's true. And it's huge. And it does, it does mess with you tremendously. There's no question. Uh, so, so this, as we kind of talked about, so we went from five years ago to having a bow and dreaming, you know, being in high school. To working for an archery shop, um, finding this pretty girl that you fell in love with to uh, yeah. go meet her dad and to fall in love with the 3D and now jump right into the local 3D circuit, basically here in Arizona, become the champion of that. Fast forward the next year, now you're at the top of the, the best, that you're competing against the best of the best. And so now that you've had your first, I think you've had one, you've done one shoot so far or two uh, at the national level? One, and then I got two weeks and then I'll fly out to Dallas, Texas and I go to another one. So go to that. So now you're a rookie on the national stage competing mm-hmm. against these guys that are year in, year out, the top of the, the top of the top. So what are some of the things as a rookie are you seeing at that highest level that some of these people that are there year in, year out that we look at as probably some of the best shooters in the country in the world, what are some of the things that you're seeing as you're shooting with them that may the average person may have no understanding of what separates them maybe separate yourself to somebody like myself that's I think I'm a pretty good archer but I'm nowhere even close to their class and there may be other people that are just starting in archery so what are some of those attributes that you're seeing that brings consistency and things that they're doing if anything jumped out at you the mental side of it is huge I mean a lot of those guys as soon as we walked on to the field of play a lot of the friendship ended I mean, I have known a couple of them because I've been privileged enough to shoot with them at Mel's training facility when they've flown in and trained there. Um, 
we would laugh and joke and smile, but as soon as we stepped onto that course and they blew the air horn, things changed. The and switch gets flipped. Yeah, and now it's, okay, hey, we went from warming up on the practice range to every arrow's going towards the end goal, which at these shoots is tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, seeing that and then also seeing a lot of guys being so meticulous about their equipment, and that's something I've learned, really, I mean, when people come in and we adjust draw lengths and stuff, we're adjusting by half an inch. I know exactly right now my bow is 31 and 3 sixteenths draw length. That level of precision changes everything. Um, and then also seeing the side of it for a lot of these guys where they step up and they don't question, am I going to hit? Because it's a similar situation to if that bull elk walks across you in Unit 9 early archery tag like you had a couple of years ago. Yep. You don't draw back and think, oh, am I going to hit it? You draw back and think, I'm going to hit right behind my pin. And that's what these fine gentlemen do at the shoots. And that's exactly true because with that bull that I ended up shooting a year and a half ago in 2019, that bull came in and it was not perfectly broadside. Mm -hmm. But being at that 35 yard, it was like I looked and I said, I know I can put this broadhead in that two inch square. Well, he's sitting there, has no idea I'm here, and that's exactly where. And when I let that arrow go, when he hit, I'm like, he's dead. I mean, there was no question when he stood and I drew back, that bull was dead. I think that's kind of that same exact confidence that those guys have when it comes to target shooting. They know that when they release, that arrow's going to hit exactly where they're looking at. Yeah, and the side of it for me as well is having the confidence in your equipment. I mean, I'm at one end of the spectrum because I know I have confidence in my equipment, because I work on bows for a living. A lot, there's some guys out on the tournament circuit that they don't know how to tie a D-loop. But when they step on that field, they look and they know my bow is accurate. All I have to do is what I am trained to do. And for hunters, I think that's the same thing. The nerves can come in, but your mind is stronger than all of that. Yep. And you can sit in and seeing antelope, elk, deer, whatever, and think, okay, I've shot this how many times? I've aimed at this foam antelope for the last two months, and finally, it's game time. I know where to aim. I know where I'm going to hit. Execute. Yep. And that's the fun part of being on the professional ranges. They walk around, and they have these little fortunes, like you'd get in a fortune cookie. And nice little lady was walking around giving them to all of us. It's just kind of good mojo at it. And the one I got at my first shoot, I looked at it, and the question was, you've shot this how many times? It's the same thing for hunting. I mean, we've all, and yeah. I push people all the time, go to 3D shoots because that is a subconscious, basically, upbuilder mm -hmm. to where you go and whether you don't draw a tag and you're just going for over-the-counter deer well, you've shot a foam deer hundreds of times at this point. Your pin knows where to settle on. And for me, I was fortunate enough, my first target was a little wolverine. Well, I shoot the wolverine in Mel's backyard every day of the week. I shot a 12 on it because I looked at it and I go, oh, yeah, I've shot this how many times? Like, this is yep. a layup. Yep. And that's the same thing that everyone else has to do. And I think that's something I really learned out on that range. And it was a big takeaway of, 
be confident in yourself. And I think everyone can apply that towards everything in hunting and in life, really. Yep, I agree 100%. Yeah, if, you're, if your mind hasn't gone through it mentally, then it's really hard for your body to do whatever action that is. You have to mentally prepare yourself and, you know, in any line of work, the what-if scenarios, whether it's in construction, whether it's in medicine, law enforcement, or competition, sports. A lot of those professional athletes do exactly what you're talking about. They go to those mental mental health clinics in the sense of not from a, a disease, but just to get your mind right in competition, that you already are mentally prepared you know, as a as a hitter, you know, taking a, a ninety plus mile an hour fastball from a major league picture, and you know that you can do it. Now, baseball is different; it's a it's a sport of failing. If you hit three out of ten times, you're you're doing extremely well. But it's still the can you do it? And the mind is the most uh, powerful muscle that you have. So that's that's good, and I'm sure that's why Mel has so many people coming in from out of state because he's, I'm sure, bringing in a different type of perspective than just repetitiveness of, of shooting. There's so many more mechanics mentally and physically to be um, at the top of your game. Yeah, there's there are so many variables to all of it. And I think one lucky, luckier blessing side of it was earlier on in my life, my mom had a big part in kind of mentally strengthening me because my grandmother lived with us from the time I believe I was 16 until she ended up passing away when I was 18. And I learned a lot of that mental fortitude from watching my mom and my dad take care of her. Mm -hmm. That was the side of it of you set your mind to it and you do it. And watching them take care of her and seeing the emotion side of it and everything I think that was another huge part of it that built me up mentally. Now it's you set your mind to the task and you just do it because right. you have to. Yep. And there's a more subtle side of that that applies towards archery. But that's one thing that I think everyone has in them. Mm-hmm. And you can absolutely do it. And plus, best part is this is the easy part of our lives. I mean, yeah, for me, I've stepped into a different realm to where I make money doing this. But... This is our hobby for right. a lot of folks. It's not life or death when you go out there, and a lot of people treat it like that, and I think that can be kind of a detriment to some mm-hmm. folks. Yeah. They're bringing that level of stress into it. Go out there and trust your pin float. Let that pin move around, and just think of it like the fun you were having when you were walking around with your wife and kids on the 3D range. Right. And execute that shot at the same level as that because another huge part of the mental side of it is over trying. You hear a lot of sports coaches come out and they say, I want 110%. Well, 110% isn't what you've performed at ever. You've always performed at about 85%. That's what our brain capacity can handle. And that's one of the things the performance analysis book I fill out asks, what percentage did you run your mental game and what percentage did you run your training today? I've never given it over 85%. That's pretty hard mentally to do. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, I give it 100%. That's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And there's a side of it that you can't over try in these situations because you've never trained for that. Right. 
you go out, you put your pin on, you execute. And that's why, like you two, you both are accurate archers because you treat it as a hobby. You go out and you go, sweet, I get to go deer hunting. You go out, you shoot a deer. It's a very easy concept that well, us uh, as humans uh, just mess up. I usually am more confident with my rifle. He's more confident with his, <laughs> with his bow. He, Mike's, I don't know what the farthest it is, but I know I helped recover a, a mule deer that helped pack it out that he, he tagged at 80-some yards, which is incredible. Yeah, and that's the confidence side of it. Yep. I know Mike is a very competent and confident archer. I mean, we're fortunate enough to see you guys probably every other week doing the raffles and stuff when we get to have fun and joke around and catch yep. up. But being fortunate enough to work on your guys' bows, I can see the confidence that you two have by coming to the shop and dealing with all of us at the shop of, I have professionals work on my bow. Mm-hmm. I know it's accurate. And then I can watch Mike go into the range and he can put three arrows in an X ring with the bow we just worked on. And that's, that's where it comes full circle to yep. me is starting with working on the bows and now getting to shoot myself and then see how happy it makes other people. Oh, that's, that's the best. No, that's a great point because we literally got that bow dialed in and within 15 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, after probably less than 15 shots total, my, my last three shots were in three separate, you know, rings that are probably a quarter inch, which is a testament to tuning, tuning the bow and making sure that bow was perfectly tuned because all I did was pull back and shoot, you know, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing when you think about that, you know. Oh, yeah. Us sure. at Ross, we're all, like we said earlier, we're all a team. But we're enablers. There's a reason you see a lot of us still at the shop during hunting season. We enable you guys to go do your hobby. Right. Um, And we're there to help when things don't go too right. Um, But the big side of it is, and I say it to customers all the time, and all of us really do, is we do the leg work for you. We tune the bow. The only thing you really have to do is sight it in because that's the individual side of archery. But then it circles back to the mental side. You have the mental confidence that – we worked on your bow. Right. And that's exactly true because I remember I was shooting a little bit off and you, I handed you the bow and you took your Allen wrench, moved the sight. How's this? Nope, still a bit off. And you looked at it, moved moved it one more time, and all of a sudden, like, bingo, there it mm-hmm. is. You know, it is impressive when you can take your equipment to a proficient, you know, shop as yourself, as Ross Outdoors does with all their technicians, and basically they rebuild your bow. You're shooting it. They keep moving your sight, and all of a sudden they're like, there it is. You know, and you, and you walk away, then you go home and you shoot it, and you're like, man. I can shoot at the end of a plastic bottle cap at 30 yards mm-hmm. because that bow was perfectly tuned for me. And I think that's probably uh, the biggest thing that I learned. I'm sure you see it is each bow is completely tuned to that individual. And yep. I can't take your bow and shoot it as be as good as you, and you can't do the same with, with me. Yep. I completely agree with that. What other – I know we talked, obviously, um, both of you guys shoot Prime. Brady's uh, sponsored by Prime. What are some other equipment that you – you shoot what are your what pins what is your rest and what arrows do you prefer um people might want to hear about well i know this isn't a video podcast but i'm wearing an easton archery t-shirt um i do shoot for easton arrows okay um montana black gold sights that's a big relationship that we've had at ross outdoors forever and i've been fortunate enough to where when i approached them and said hey i'm going to do this professionally they said rock on dude We'll send you a couple of their target sites, not the hunting sites, but it's the same durability and same precision because like the new um, pro site and the pro hunter, mm-hmm. a lot of the aspects from that came from the target sites. And a lot of the stuff that we now appreciate as hunters, the micro just rests and everything, that 
comes from the target realm. Yeah. Target realm is really the racetrack that more arrows are getting run through those bows and the accessories. Right. So a lot of that transfers over. Um, I'm running Hamsky Arrow Rests. I'm a big fan of theirs just because they're built like a tank. Um, I run shrewd scope housings. So the site housing on target sites is generally separate from the site itself. A lot of times in hunting, you'll get a site and a housing together where the pins are housed. In target sites, it's so individual and so customizable, you will just get the site bar and then you use housing separately. So I use shrewd housings. Um, Bee Stinger stabilizers, they're, they make a wonderful, wonderful product. And then um, back to Eastern Arrows, I mean, you can't really get much better than Made in America arrows. That's right. Yep. Amen to that. And you, you shoot those competitively and for your hunting? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I have too many arrows. I have an arrow problem. Mm -hmm. I'll admit that right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I use their larger diameter arrows, the primarily the Super Drive series. And then for the small arrows, I'll use either the Eastern Pro Comps or the X-10s. Um, primarily for target on that side and then what are those like four millimeter or? um the x10s are slightly smaller than four millimeter okay um that's an arrow where most people don't use those just because they are quite expensive per dozen um i think a dozen of those comes out almost to seven hundred dollars when Ooh. it comes to arrows and just the points so that's a little bit on the more expensive end a great more affordable option that's becoming more popular in the hunting realm even is the eastern pro comps that is a four millimeter, but it's like the um, old ACCs. So mm -hmm. aluminum on the inside, carbon on the outside. So that's become really popular, and they also have a pro comp hunting version of that. And then I'm a big fan right now of the uh, Easton 6.5s. That used to be the Beeman arrows, and they decided, hey, we're going to bring everything back to America, and we're going to make a more affordable version. So the Easton 6500 Classics, we have those sitting right next to the tech shop. Those work. are, they seem very popular. Every time we're there, that's what a lot of people are gravitating to, whether it's word of mouth or, uh, you know, product placement, whether it is, people are, are happy with it. And, it's, yeah. and it is um, affordable. I think it's because it's a tried and true arrow. I mean, it's a standard diameter. It's using a wonderful knock that they've had around forever, the Micro um, Super 3D knock. And then their new collar system, which allows there to be extra weight threaded in the back if you want to play with your front of center. And then it also protrudes from the shaft about an eighth of an inch to protect the end of the carbon. If you hit something that you weren't really wanting to hit, it will protect the end of the shaft. But I'm using those right now. And then the new um, four millimeter axis long range are another great arrow from them. That took over their old um, Deep Six arrows. That was kind of their revamp for those, and we're just starting to get some of those in stock at the shop now, and that has been a long wait. We've been very excited. We've had a lot of people very excited for those arrows as well. You shoot Easton's as well, Mike, Eastern right? Axis. Yeah, I've been shooting Easton Axis for a long time. And, and now the full bores for your target rig. Yeah. We built up some old full bores for you. And they're fun, man. They're fun. Yeah. They are good. They are good to shoot, too. I'm excited with them for sure. Yeah, and the cool part about the Eastern Arrows, I mean, David says this to customers all the time, is he has one arrow in this arrow tube that actually sits next to my bench at work, and he can pull it out, and that Axis arrow is 10 years old, and he can weigh it, and he can weigh his brand new one that he just cut, and they weigh the same. That's that Made in America quality that I really appreciate from all the bow manufacturers and that I appreciate really from Prime because everything that they do is held to that American quality. 
They don't skimp on anything, and that's why they offer their shield warranty strings. Every two years when you buy a Prime, as long as you register it on the date of purchase, every two years they give you free strings and cables because they know the rest of the bow is going to hold up. The only variable oh, wow. that changes is the strings, and everyone that I represent um, is a big, big driver to that factor of quality. No, that's great. No, it's true because my prime rise, I've, I've replaced the strings twice. I've had the bow mm -hmm. six years, and, you know, I've had them replaced twice. I take them to the shop, and they send us a brand-new pair of strings. It's, it's truly amazing. When, I th when you think about the cost of new strings, that's what probably a $150, $200 bill, I, th I would think. To, yeah, I mean. I mean, just that, just that platform alone, if you just kept your bow for 10 years, I mean, you're almost getting a free bow in strings equivalently of financial cost. And yes, sir. It's crazy. Yeah, a set of America's Best Premium Strings, which is another company I'm very fortunate to be a part of, um, those are 170 from us before tax. Yeah. And then Prime, they send you a free set of strings. Yeah, you got to pay for us to install them and do the tune and everything. But, yeah. I mean, you're saving 125 bucks every mm -hmm. time they send yep. you a set of strings. It's huge. It's huge. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we're wrapping this up. Any last parting words or anything you'd like to share with us that we've failed to ask? We always ask uh, all of our guests any parting words. What can you share some more wisdom with us that we've, uh, Mike or I have failed to, to ask you? Well, I don't know about sharing wisdom. I don't think I have enough years underneath my belt for that one. But um, thank you guys, I mean, for having me here, and especially thank you guys for what you're doing for the hunting community, not just in Arizona. I mean, all across the country, we see people all the time call us and they go, hey, I want a bow, but I'm in Pennsylvania. There's The CHA has stretched to all corners of the U.S. and just thank you guys for what you've done and then thank you for supporting me. I mean, having you guys on my jersey is a big thing of pride for me. I'm proud to have that on there because I know I'm supported by and supporting wonderful people. Absolutely. So thank you guys. 100%. You're welcome. Thanks for supporting us. Mike, uh, do you want to close us in a prayer? Yeah, I'll close you in a prayer and I actually pulled up a, uh, a verse. Let's see here. I'm going to find it real quick. Where is it? So one of the things that uh, was actually a Bible verse, I thought, we'd sometimes it's just good to get back in God's Word. So Psalm 107.1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So, I mean, just something simple that we kind of... You know, take for granted, but that, that is a true statement. So with that, Lord God, we just uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for another opportunity to come together as Christians American, as as proud Americans, and as fellow Americans, and just people that love the outdoors and archery. And we just ask that you uh, bless Grady, Lord, as he travels all over this country, Lord. And we just ask that you give him wisdom, Lord, give him strength, Lord, and give him the continued confidence, Lord, as he represents Arizona and his family, Lord, and Ross Outdoors as an archer that he would shoot to his uh, perfect ability that you have instilled in him. And, Lord, if there's anybody out here that needs prayer that's listening to this podcast today, Lord, we just ask that they would reach out to us, and we'd love to pray for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Christian Hunters of America podcast. If you have any prayer requests, or you require any information, please look us up on ChristianHuntersOfAmerica.org or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram under Christian Hunters of America. <laughs>